I always wanted to know who the best player was on tour simply because I wanted to actually work as hard. And then I ran into a, a little guy by the name of George Knudsen out of Canada. And I watched him hit the golf ball. I watched him with the wide stance, taking the club back way inside, releasing the club. One of the greatest ball strikers I'd ever seen. Hello and welcome to the new edition of the McKellar Golf Podcast with me, Lauren Sonigan, and my co-host, Mr. Jeff Shackelford. How are you doing, Jeff? You know, I'm doing okay, Lawrence. I'm um, cutting through my uh, Netflix queue to kind of get some scraps off uh, in preparation for the big drop next week. You know, I got through uh, uh, Treason, which was really good, Anatomy of a Scandal, which got lousy reviews, and I, I thought, I'm, these are both, by the way, very MI6 British things. Right, I think. Um, they really do milk the uh, MI, MI6 <laughs> over there a little hard. But they're both great, and uh, yeah, so I got those off the uh, off the queue, and I'm just getting ready for full swing, and it's going to change golf as we know it, and uh, it's going to bring in millennials and Gen Z, and and uh, in fact, you should probably you know stock up on some golf balls right now because the rush from all the new players uh, from, from, from full swing is just going to be incredible next week. Well, how was your screener? Have you, did you enjoy watching it? I ha- it has not arrived yet. What? I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just sent an email to tour asking, they offered it a while back and I, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten it yet, but we're, it seems like we're the only ones who haven't watched it in the golf media world. Yeah. I, I'm watching last chance. You, the uh, East, uh, East Los Angeles college edition. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. It's really last. Well, it's, basketball edition anyway uh, enough of that uh, this is a golf podcast and before we get to the week's uh the week's golf uh, a quick uh a quick com- commercial uh, for mckellar magazine uh, go to mckellarmagazine.com as i keep on saying on my twitter feed we're a we're a podcast but really we're a, a magazine with a podcast attached uh we pay our writers really well which we're very proud of but we can't do that if uh, we don't have your support so if you're listening to this free podcast then why don't you go to mckellarmagazine.com and buy our uh, copy of the latest edition of McKellar number six. And if you've already done that, there's a three, four, and five are still in print. You can also get um, you can also get a t-shirt. They're really cool and uh, hats and a few few more bits and bobs. McKellarMagazine.com. Uh, second commercial, uh, Jeff. You have a book coming out soon. Uh, golf course architecture for normal people. Have I got that right? Golf architecture for normal people. We, 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 yeah, it's okay. You were close. It's all right. We've got time. It comes out June one. Lots and lots of time. Right. Is it, can, can I get it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've got a PDF in my, in my computer. I did send you a PDF. Um, that is correct. Um, I, uh, yes, no, uh, that I look forward to your comments, but no, you can pre-order on Amazon or bookshop.org and, um, yeah, I'm just trying to start getting the word out. I'm, I'm excited though. Um, I'm feeling I'm I'm not I'm not hating it yet. So you know how writers are. We we we, we pick up our wow. things we've written, we read them, and we go, oh gosh, what was I thinking? So the, I'm uh, excited. I'm excited to hear how many people are saying this is the kind of book they'd like to read right now. So that's that's encouraging because that's why I wrote it. I felt like it's a good time to get into golf architecture in a way that's a little bit different and that it uh, separate the sport from rankings and some of the other stuff that uh, I think scares people off from the topic. So Yeah, the uh, yeah, I'm not buttering you up, but it's a, I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, and I kind of can fits even normal people, you know, in my local nine-home uni. Uh, people talk about golf course architecture all the time, a lot, yeah. more, than, a lot more than they used to. Uh, and they talk about it with as, about as much knowledge as I have, which is not very much. But uh, anyway, looking forward to it. That's June. You can get it on Amazon. 
But before you go to Amazon, you've got to go to mckellarmagazine.com. Spend yeah. most of your money there, 95% of it. If you've of got course. 5% left, you might want to get Jeff's book. Here on to the golf, Jeff. Uh, Pebble Beach finished yesterday. What do you think of Pebble Beach as a golf course? Oh, I love it. I, you know, I have my, uh, <laughs> speaking of architecture for normal people, yeah. I, I, you know, I have a very, uh, I have, I have some issues. I, I, it's, and it's hard to talk about because when you watch it on TV, like we just did, it looks beautiful, um, and performed, I think really well, but I have also studied the original design and there are things that I just have been on the record uh, written about that I, I'm sad have been lost and I'm not wild about their attempts when they do try to bring him back like the eighth green last week. It looked fine, but you're like, why, why couldn't this be a little bit better? So no, I've always been a lover of pebble and not one of those people who feels it's overrated. You know, it's really falling in the rankings. I think in part because people see those old photos and kind of wonder why it slipped. And then of course you have your group that go, Oh, you can't restore that. Well, no, you can't restore the dunes that, uh, that were created, these fake dunes, but it's the nuances that are lost. The, the double fairway on the ninth and all these cool little corner holes and the, the greens had these intricate shapes. And, you know, Jack Nicholas once called it the most strategic course in the world. And, and, and so much of the strategy is gone. The need to be on certain sides of the fairway and, uh, so stuff like that. And again, this is me being not a normal person yeah. and my book, my book tries to avoid this. I say, I point out that this is what we need in architecture. Uh, but we also need to step back and remember that most people can, uh, do not look at a course that way. Well, so. they don't, I, my, the normal people in my, uh, my and nor, nor do they need to, but right. But I do think it's also important uh, that that we some of us kind of stick up for the, the the details and and try to push the art to a little little higher standard. And so Pebble Beach, you know, it, it frustrates me that they they kind of point miss, and I get it. It's very hard to shut it down and do a full restoration. And they've got a a group of owners, uh, you know, ma- massive massive ego, uh, successful types who who you know you're reporting to a lot of different. Folks, and they all have ideas, by the way, too. Whenever you go, you always hear, oh, yeah, we got a suggestion from so-and-so, and and he's one of our owners, so we had to look into it. I mean, I can't even imagine that job of having to to take all those ideas. So it was a good week. Obviously, though, uh, Lawrence, a little bit of a boondoggle that one green at Monterey Peninsula Country Club was uh, forced basically the end of play on on uh, Saturday when it was windy, but yeah. they could still play just fine at Pebble Beach. That's 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 uh, that's embarrassing. That's a rough one. Yeah, you jumped on there because I, I was going to tell a great joke about strategy at Pebble Beach. I saw Kurt, Kat- Kurt, Kurt Kitayama topped a six iron 145 yards late on Sunday when it was pouring rain. I don't know why he was still playing, why he couldn't have waited. Yeah. And then had a, I think it was 241 into the green. Poor guy. Yeah. yeah. Miles right. Yeah, can I ask you what? So if you had one thing at Pebble, you, okay, they said, okay, Jeff, you can do one thing. What would it be? I think right now, I, you, it changes about every three oh, right, hours. Okay. But right now, the one watching the blimp shots and CBS just had another killer week with the drone and the blimp and the sound. The sound, their sound is really good this year. And I, 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 I'm not hallucinating. I've had the same sound system the last few years. But, um, God, the seagulls sounded great in my living room. You know, it just, I felt like I was there. But anyway, the, 
the ninth hole used to be a double fairway. Yeah. And you had to hit it over to the right. Now, again, the guy said it so far that I'm not sure how it would work, but I still don't understand why you wouldn't want to reclaim that old fairway up against the cliffs. But the strategy was obvious. You hit it down by the cliffs. You got a great view into the, the, the pins behind the bunker on the left. You hit it out left. You don't have any shot. And why they won't put that back is beyond me. It's all right there. It's just sitting there, Lawrence. I've gone over there and it was abandoned a long time ago. But uh, the eighth green would have been the one before that. They redid that for this tournament. I didn't think um, they did as good of a job. I just don't know why they didn't make it bigger and better and all that stuff. Well, certainly better. Even I could spot that. Well, it was, I mean, it's gotten to where in the U.S. Open, there are literally two whole locations. Yeah. And those probably keep the guys up at night who are doing the setup. Uh, they were just, it's just a joke how small it got. So from a functional perspective, but again, there's another one. So not to go down a rat hole, but if you, if you had expanded the green properly to the left, taken the bunkers, you know, years of flying sand, take that down, get that far left hole location. There's now a reason off the tee to hit it down the right side to get to that left pin. Yeah. Whereas if you bail left and the pin is left, you've got no shot to get close, you know, stuff like that that is so simple and you just think, gosh, did, how, why isn't anybody understanding that kind of thing there? It's just a, it's a head scratcher, but, but number nine, number nine for sure, um, would be my, yeah, I just think it was, it was so cool in the old photos. Yeah. The, uh, and won by uh, Justin Rose on Monday morning, yeah. uh, Clearly did not hear us mocking him as a as a pre-tournament uh, headliner on the show last week. Uh, yeah, but I think that was you. That wasn't me. Um, oh, oh actually, but it been me. Uh, yeah, actually, it's great. I mean, I saw Luke Donald was big upping him. I, I would imagine. That, oh know, yeah. Well, so he's definitely a candidate now yeah, for the team. Yeah. The uh, again, I think it's, I can't remember who it was. Somebody put up probably swing sequence on Twitter uh, against the Morikawa, and God Almighty, it's it's. It looks so good, miles better than what Mark. I mean, it's still. Yeah, he's photos. changed teachers, right? Yeah, he's gone to. Well, everybody's gone. Mark Blackburn, the guy who's teaching uh, Homer, uh-huh. um, and a, a bunch of others. I thought he was a short game coach, but he's clearly not. He clearly does everything. It looks. Yeah. Uh, he looked, you know, renewed. I mean, he looked oh, for sure. Yeah, looked really energized and renewed. His swing looks f- fantastic. So if I'm one of those guys down the bottom, the Migliosis or the McIntyres, I'm thinking, well, there's the one in my. The one of the spots I might got in that Ryder Cup team might be gone. Might be filled by Justin Rose if he doesn't. If he doesn't get there on his own merit, he'll certainly get a pick at this stage. Um, yeah. Uh, again, it finished on Monday morning. There's nothing they can do, could they? Was there anything they could have done to organise the tournament a bit better? Or, I mean, I, I mean, I just got screwed by the weather, didn't he? I know I did. I was going to go down, and it, you know, was pointless. I was going to go down on Saturday. It was pointless. I think I called off at I don't know one o'clock, something like that. I just never got a good sense of what went wrong on that green at, yeah. at MPCC. Uh, the, the the hole looked like it was in a very simple location, so it wasn't the the, the way the tour staff set it up. And, and there was a a comical bit uh, on Saturday where they went back to it, and there's a guy just drenching the green, and Jim Jim <laughs> Jim Nance, uh, they're giving it a little bit of a treatment maybe to see if they can get it playable. I'm like. He's putting, he's treating it like it's a Chicago fire. I mean, <laughs> drenching the thing, and they still couldn't get it playable. Um, so I remember it's a pretty undulated green, but it, and very exposed. But it's still where you know modern green speeds now. Uh, it's very hard to, to slow greens down with some of the modern grasses because they just they they just aren't designed to be 
they don't grow a cer- uh, in a way that you can pull this off. And they, by the way, they didn't mow the greens again in uh, Pebble until Monday morning. Yeah. So I, I, I know how much the rules staff works on preventing these kinds of debacles, um, but that's what it is. I mean, what a disaster they lose. The, the, the Saturday telecast, I just saw it got a 0.63. So people just tuned out. Um, and what a disaster. So I it was um, a rough, rough thing for for uh, CBS and AT&T. But, uh, you know, Sunday was great viewing and, and um, they stayed late, went on Golf Channel and they uh, that that rain you mentioned came in. It was it was uh, the place looks so beautiful, but yeah, it, it just threw the whole thing out of whack. The um... but good on by the way, good on Rose to to you know come back first thing in the morning. You know he's a little older. Yep, uh, and he's had some back issues, and he looked like you said he looks refreshed. He looks like a new man, and uh, that's not easy to do. Pop right back when you haven't been in contention a while, and come out and win and. Um, yeah, so a very impressive win. And, uh, and I guess he made it. Yeah. <laughs> Golf channel had a whole report on Sunday about his new equipment. They refused to say which manufacturer really? he's a free agent, but it was just comical. I mean, the show's sponsored by Callaway and obviously it's, I guess he's gone to tailor made and, um, they even would say clubs he used to play. It was just, <laughs> it, was, it was just like, just say it. Gosh, Actually, I did notice. A, uh, I did catch a bit of that. He, he changed. Oh, he went to Honma. Remember, he went to Honma. Well, yeah. I mean, that, they, yeah. That was a was that debacle. Yeah, that yeah. was a disaster. Talk about you know. He was never the same, and everybody predicted that would yeah. be the, the case. Uh, there's a lesson here for everybody. Um, oh yeah. The, but uh, the money was good. <laughs> uh, the yeah, but he lasted about six months and had to give it all back, presumably. Some, I think. You uh, know. Can you do uh, television ratings for norm- normal people? Uh, what's a point six three six or a point? Do you say point three six? Point six three. It's it's not good. Uh, how about that? <laughs> How's that for the? It's not good. If it doesn't have a one before it, um, it on a network, Lawrence. I mean, yeah. you have to work hard not to get a one at this point, even with cord cutting, because. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll lower it to point eight uh, oh, but that you know there one is is just over a million viewers and I mean we're talking CBS NBC ABC they still reach a lot of homes and those Nielsen homes have the channel on half the time and yeah it's not good a lot of people tuned out I, I wonder we've been talking a lot the last few weeks about uh, CBS and how wonderful the coverage has been. Uh, I wonder if, some, if maybe somebody is somewhere up the uh, management ladder at CBS is saying, well, hang on a minute. We're investing all this money in this golf coverage. God, we can't invest any more. And look at our, our numbers are poor. Does somebody, I, I, is, or what a little early. Say? A little early, sorry. Go but on. I think that could count. I, I don't doubt that there's going to be that reckoning where they go, gee whiz. I mean, that's already happened at NBC. They just say, well, the, it, it, Comcast's view is if no number is going up and if it goes down, it's just a disaster. And so that's what we're going to see. And that, I think what will be really interesting is, I mean, what the difference in these CBS shows is just incredible. And, and what will happen when they go back to NBC in Florida and they're not doing... Um, I mean, they had a new innovations uh, and I threw it out on Twitter and for some reason it got a, just a ridiculous amount of, um, uh, views and, and replies, but I don't know if you saw where Kitty Yama is getting over the ball on the fifth and Jim Nance just out of nowhere goes, uh, ah, we've got a new little toy. We're going to show you here. It's going to tell you where the ball is now, Jim, I think I uh, got it. I think he worded it incorrectly. I think he says to the effect, we're going to see where the ball finishes. 
And of course the ball landed and then spun way back. Yep. And so it didn't match, but it's a predictive technology using the shot link little thing on the side. And it immediately after impact me, what a second. And it flashes where the ball is going to land on the green. And wow. then it did it with Malnati and it did the same thing. And it, and so I put it out on Twitter. Is this something we'd like to see on 12 at Augusta? And, of course, most people were like, I think we can wait a few well, seconds. I, yeah, yeah, I think we can, can't we? But I guess I just love, and a lot of people agreed, I love the attempts at innovation. I love the use of technology. And maybe there's a dip, maybe it's better if they could get it with a tee shot. I don't know. But guess what? I, who cares? I love that they're trying, and we've 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 hit this point, People love technology on sports TV, even if it doesn't really do much. It looks cool yeah. and good for them. And what's going to happen? Yeah, they're going to go to NBC and they're not doing any of this stuff now. I mean, like I said, the sound was great. You got drone, you got blimp, um, the Venice cam. And again, you know, that depth of field camera on a, it just looks so, I mean, the late light. And then Keith Mitchell uh, wearing the AirPod, playing the hall, Trevor, uh, Ian Baker Finch, Nabilo, asking him great questions. It was it was right. great stuff. Enough. We are not being paid by CBS here. So no, we, we I'm just telling. I'm being enthusiastic because we should reward them for 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 doing this and trying to get better. They used to be bad. They were really really tired and not investing, and and now they are. I, I'm glad you uh, mentioned Keith Mitchell. He called out Aaron Rodgers. Uh, oh, let, let, the, let the record show about that, that sandbagging. Uh, Aaron Rodgers won the pro, the pro am with a score of 25 under par. His pro Ben Silverman missed a cut at plus two. So Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is minus 27 on his own. But that is bullshit. And he and he's just come off the season, and we know he's not. I mean, he might hit balls in his simulator at home, but that doesn't mean anything. Anyway, here we go. It's, it's comical. So the whole roadshow moves on to the mille- the millennial major, as you call. Ah, yes. Uh, Waste management open at TPC Scottsdale. Uh, I said I played. I don't know if you played it. I played it. I played it with my kid a couple of years back. Um, I really liked it. I'm a big fan of desert golf. Uh, am I wrong in liking it as a as a layperson? Yes. No, it's no. It's it. I mean, it produces great finishes. Yeah. Um, I think the back nine is is really fun and interesting. The front uh, is okay. I'm not wild about a few little changes that Weisskopf made more recently, but nothing. It's more aesthetic than anything. It's uh, no, I love. It. I think the 17th hole, yeah, it's a one. I think it's a brilliant short part four. I just sometimes it gets a little, a little, <laughs> a speedy. little that green can get a little yeah. too fast these days. Another one that you got to watch. Um, and you, you wonder if it kind of has ruined a few of the dynamics, but. No, I love the thing. I wish the 18th played a little longer for the guys. Um, you know, see when you're on the premises, Jeff, you're standing lob wedge into it's a little embarrassing. Well, you're, you're sta- if you're standing in the premises at that back, I mean, it's just astonishing. You, you really because the scale of it's huge, but you get yeah. a sense of how far these guys hit the ball now. It's just ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah, because you know that's a it's a cool hole if you're taking yeah. a six or a seven iron and would be great. But obviously, well, that'll be Ricky Barnes. I think he'll hit about a five <laughs> iron in. One of the shortest, one of the most ripped guys in the history of the game. Yeah. One of the shortest hitters in the game, and he gets a sponsor's invite. Lawrence, give me a break. Yeah, well, what well, is that about? Yeah, well, I was going to ask you the same question. It seems really weird. Uh, I thought Ricky was more into invest, investment, his investment portfolio uh, yeah. these days. And then he, yeah, and he fills out the Puerto Rican uh, open field, and he's one of those names when you see him on those 
those alternate week events, you go, oh, <laughs> they went deep down the list this week. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, JB Holmes got one, former champion, and and had one of the most memorable wins there. Whatever, fine. Um, but Ricky Barnes, I mean, there's there's some, you know, the game talks about it. What it needs younger players or this or that, and uh, you know, you you tell me there aren't some. Cole Hammers of the world, or you know, but budding guys who've played well in recent weeks, uh, who aren't uh, a tournament director doesn't go, hey, that guy's that guy's playing some golf. We should, you know, he could be the next, he could be a star, and we we took care of him. Like like what is anyway? Absolutely, but it is sloppy. It's right, Cole Hammer. I think he played in the Monday yesterday, and he, I think he shot minus five, missed by one. Of course, he would be a better addition to the field. Goodness me, I'm astonished. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, she might be able to answer this. I'm guessing it's the uh, what they call the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm guessing they dish out the the yeah. other yeah, the ones. They, yeah, well, because Ricky's a local and they. You know, yeah, it's a local thing, whatever. I guess. He went to University of Arizona, which is you know down the down in Tucson. I I don't know. There's but it's something else. But it's bullshit. It's absolutely bullshit. You know. Uh, yeah, he's not going to sell one ticket this week. Not one. So yeah. if you're going to not you're going to add a guy who's not going to sell a ticket, then what what is he doing? He's not relevant. His career's. It's just, I, it's the kind of thing that drives me. But look, I mean, I would even support Tony Romo getting an exemption before Ricky Barnes. I mean, come on. You got to have, you got to have somebody who's going to sell some tickets or has done something for the tournament in the past. And this is just not one of those. Ca- I mean, Charlie Hoffman's a waste management guy. I think, did he get one? I think I mean, he did, so. yeah. Yeah, whatever. He's sponsored by them. Fine, whatever. Uh, but. And he he lost in a playoff. I see this is quite. A, I mean, old yeah, story, he's but, played well in the yeah. tournament. Lo- yeah, again, you can make those kinds of cases all day long, but this is that one. Just I saw that and I just went, "Come on, come on, he, do uh, better, Thunderbirds." He, I think he lost in a playoff to Kenny Perry years ago. I've never. Oh, yeah, the That's other right. year, Kenny, uh, the Kenny's balls magically could be seen <laughs> after he. And can you imagine now, Lawrence, all these years after Kenny did that and the controversy, guys do that on, you just see that all day long now. Walk okay. up to the ball, put the club down, and suddenly you see the ball a little bit more. It's amazing. The, and uh, he got roasted for that. Oh, he did. Uh, the I don't re- well remember Ferrity going, oh my goodness. And Ferrity was part of the gang. Right. And in fact, Ferrity mentioned it. But I remember a couple of weeks, I said it was at the players taking a video, cornering Charlie Hoffman uh, somewhere with a video and say, well, well, what do you think of this, Charlie? Of course, you know, hoping that he would say something, but of course he didn't say anything. Oh, well, it was, I mean, it was you know, de rigueur for a PGA Tour pro. Uh, more so now than back then, It was, but it was outrageous. It's been scrubbed from YouTube, by the way, so oh. if anybody's listened to this and wants to go and have a look at Kenny Perry, um, then... At the... I have that on my computer somewhere. I'll have oh, to really? Yeah. Well, listen, I'll tell you what, why don't you repost it on Twitter, and that'll really ensure you oh. get all those Netflix screeners. <laughs> I got to get through next week at Riviera without too many incidents. Yeah. The uh, is there anything else to say on that on this this tournament? No, I mean, we're burying I... the lead on the big story of the week. Come on. All oh, right. Okay. We'll move on. Right. I uh, we'll move on to the uh, the patio. I guess what what, what we're calling it, get the smoking <laughs> patio. Um. Yeah. What a. I mean, multi layered. I mean, we're probably the last people in the world to comment on it. But um, here's a. Uh, let me take. Uh, let me take the devil's advocate side. I mean, what a fuss about just a little bit of a patio, Jet. I mean, come on, calm down, relax. Okay, first of all, for those who don't know what the hell we're talking about, we're talking about the Swilkin Burn Bridge, the most iconic landmark in the game. It has protected status, by the way. Planning commission approval was required for any work uh, that might alter its appearance, and 
And I'm going to tell you, Lawrence, I, I don't want to be graphic, but you swore last week, so our, our rating yep. with iTunes is out the door. It would have looked like a giant penis from the air uh, with a nutsack. Uh, and I'm sorry to be that graphic, but we never got a drone shot before they started destroying it today while we're recording this, and they are destroying it. It's gone. It's gone. Oh, it's gone. Uh, that was quick. Uh, so... No, but I think it's a serious topic, and I'm I'm preparing to write about it in the newsletter. That you know, the people, the Lynx Trust, it's not an easy job to manage the old course and everything that goes with it. But it also is an important job, and this was something that you just think, how on earth did not they not envision how this would look? And these are the people charged with caring for golf's most sacred venue, and so I think it's a serious. I mean, I thought the reactions on Twitter were just gave me so many laughs. Yeah, the Millennium Falcon, the pancake, the garden furniture, the jacuzzi. Tim Heron with the that jacuzzi. That was great. That was great. <laughs> and you just and 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 just to go a step further, I've worked on some golf course projects, and in fact, I wrote in my newsletter today the first two holes at L.A. Uh, country club. I'm doing this deep dive, and one of the things I ended with on the second hole, we took a tree, we we cut down. And turn it into a little walking bridge, and 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 we, we we even put little chunks of grass in the in the wood. We did all the plantings and all this little detail work on this little walk, and, and this for just a walk over in the trees to get over this barranca, and you you just think you know all the talented people in the world, and they build this thing that looks like it's from Home Depot, new stone, just 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 a perfect circle. You know, they could have. You're telling me there wasn't somebody who could have come in, found some old stone, and and placed it in a way that nobody would trip, but that grass could grow in between. And I know they've tried things like it's just it's just the whole thing. There are products out there galore, and I know they've tried those too. It, it just speaks to a, a level of of uh, point missing that I can't comprehend, and it's why the road hole bunker looks the way it does. It's why the course has some has had some of these debacles before. And so I think it's an important story because we love the old course and we don't want them. We don't want the Lynx Trust to be embarrassed. We don't want the old course to be shamed. And and this was just, I mean, I, I have a feed, Lawrence, last thing. I have a feed on the old course in St. Andrews, a Google alert. And I looked at it just this morning and I, I mean, it is unbelievable. Every the New York times yeah. had a byline story yeah. on it. Uh, uh, the daily mail, every major publication. <laughs> <laughs> it was that international news, right? Well, the well, the point from that is, isn't it great that how beloved and how noticed uh, the whole yes. golf is? I mean, that is a when I mean, that is one point. The second point I want to make is, uh, you're you're dead right. Uh, the Lynx Trust still a level of ignorance about how who how things work in St Andrews. People think R and A run the got right, they don't, yeah. right? Uh, but the Lynx Trust has a it's a really really difficult job, especially with the the world's eyes upon you. However, I mean, this is, I mean, the backing down, this isn't, there's a kind of, speaking to people who live in the town this week after all of this, and, you know, whenever I go back to town to hear all the time, there's a kind of feeling amongst a large, I wouldn't say the majority of people, you know, links tickets holders, that the Links Trust is, is aloof, uh, it thinks it knows better than everybody else. Uh, it does things, you know, just off the cuff. It doesn't no, no consultation. I'm sure they will come back and say, well, we do all sorts of consultation. And I'm sure they do. But on this, clearly there was no consultation. 
why wouldn't you open this up to consultation? It's such an important landmark, as you say. And I think that this whole fiasco is indicative of an attitude that the Lakes Trust that's existed for years. It's too aloof. Uh, it doesn't consult enough. Um, and so, and this is where they end up. I mean, hopefully, although what remains to be seen, hopefully this will will cause them to, or cause the organisation to kind of readjust its approach, and you'll be a bit more open about what it does. Uh, and how it's going about things. What I mean, it was so it's such an easy thing to do. Hey, we're thinking we have this problem with the Swilkin Bridge. Uh, it looks kind of this turf looks awful. We'll keep replacing it every couple of months. You know, any suggestions? What should we do? Hey, we've got uh, we're thinking about doing this. What yeah. do you think? I mean, that's how easy it is. Instead, we get this. It's just one day. Uh, well, not one day, but you know, the work gets approved by somebody, by presumably by the Links Management Committee, and who knows. Uh, the work starts. There's no, and all, all of a sudden, our friend David Jones goes up, posts a picture on Twitter, UK golf guy. If you don't follow, follow him already, uh, and boom, the you know the world explodes, uh, and it could, all could have been avoided. Uh, one other thing, Jeff, I noticed. That I saw the Lynx Trust getting praised. Uh, you <laughs> know, for, uh, I mean, really, for swift action to our screw up. Sorry, I'm, I should stop sweating, but it's complete garbage. <laughs> you know, they, they should be criticised for it. And yeah. take it to task and, you know, hey, don't do this kind of stuff. I mean, they've done it through the years. Do you want to talk about the old course bunker, uh, the, the, the the road hole bunker? I mean, do you I mean, do you want to go on? Do you want to go about the, the, the you know, the growing the rough, growing the gorse, the management of the course? Again, you know, it's an ongoing process, but there all, never seems to be much consultation. Yeah, and they have a lot of parties to report to. I know that's always a tough thing. And, and the RNA... Uh, could be, I mean, that's layered in itself. You have the, you have the organization and then you have the club and how, what, how much say does each have and, and the golfers, but, uh, and then the needs of traffic and, and then, and by the way, how many people go out and take a picture on the bridge who don't even play golf. Actually, <laughs> that always, that always amazes me. I, well, uh, is there something wrong with that? I, I'm not sure there is. I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings, but uh, yeah, it does make me laugh. Uh, well, I, I saw out there for a photo, and they don't even play the game. Well, I, I saw. I saw. Well, it's a it's a municipal park. I mean, it is a yeah. uh, you know it's a public throughway. But the uh, uh, I saw somebody complaining. Well, you play the old course for two hundred twenty pounds or whatever. You can probably put up with the inconvenience of five minutes waiting eighteen tee while somebody takes a picture. I mean, that's that was my. Well, game. no, they shouldn't be doing it while people are playing. Well, I mean, it's a safety thing, and it's. Uh, yeah, that's not good. You can't have that. But I, I think that, uh, for all those excuses that they have of, of how many parties they have to deal with, as you say, they've generally not handled things, uh, as deftly as, as you no. could. And, and when people, like, when I gripe about the certain things about the old course, I'm not doing it because I just enjoy complaining. I'm doing it because I've seen old photos. I've read all the counts. I see how the course is played now and these are not, I'm not pointing these things out or other people are not pointing these things out uh, because they just want to complain. It's because they love the old course and they want to make sure that it's uh, protected and played the way it should. And, and we've seen that criticism sort of scoffed at over the, the recent years with uh, the issues with the green speed, the issues with teeing off all over the place. You know, I mean, just something like the, the back tee on 17 that you, you now no longer have out of bounds next to the 16th green. Well, that's just one of those things where you point out, well, not only have you changed the dynamics of the 16th hole, but the 17th hole now tees off, you know, where the driving range, 
on the range. And so, yeah, it's just all these things that, and some of those are out of their hands. The RNA's asking for those things to keep the course relevant and they could do their job on the distance thing. And so you have, you do have layers to this that are complicated and the hotels and especially the old course hotels. So it's, um, but it's still, this is just beyond comprehension that yeah. you can do something that poor. And I feel for the, the greenkeeping staff, because I get the feeling this was something they were tasked with, um, and they did it. And we're in a world where, and this is something back to my 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 mention of that little detail work at, at LA North, but we're in a world where most of the time people think something that's clean and solid and well done is good. And on a place that's ancient and old, that's actually not the case. You want it to, to look ancient and old. <laughs> and, and so that kind of work needs more thought, uh, given to it. And, 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 but it also, yeah, it's, um, yeah, there are layers, <laughs> but it, I, I do think it's a serious thing and I'm glad that it, I'm glad they backed off quickly, but I don't, I don't believe they backed off quickly because of the backlash. I, I, I really do think there's some questions about whether they, they did this work uh, without getting the proper approvals because you are talking about a protected landmark that is, without question, the most recognizable structure, landmark, whatever you want to call it in, the, in, the, in golf. I, I do the know bridge. that I do know that Dundee Courier reported that the planning <laughs> the planning authorities were, were going to be looking into it. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know it was removed within one day, which suggests that there might have been <clears throat> there might have been yeah. a problem. Yeah. So uh, yeah, because swift action is not normally the way of things at uh, the old course of St Andrews. No, no. So I'm sure they're not ha thrilled at the RNA because they, as you probably have seen on Twitter, you've gotten comments. A lot of people confuse the Lynx Trust and the RNA. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> so, I, I most would, people think the RNA did this, I, so they can't be happy. I would imagine there'll be some people at the RNA are just having a quiet laugh about this, and there's a and that too probably yeah, it gives yeah. them a little bit of a respite yeah they, yeah. I mean, yeah now that said the rna uh has covered over the tom morris sign on his shop uh which you know i've written about and bitched and moaned about and i feel is an important landmark in the game and i have no idea why anybody thinks that's a that that looks good over that shop yeah uh as far as i'm concerned that's a that that's a sacred location and they did such a beautiful and here's the thing the Lynx trust did such a beautiful job restoring the interior and now it's like selling this horrible open merchandise and a, and that sign. And yeah, so I, there are, and, and I haven't seen the little shop behind 18 what's gone on there with now the Travis Matthew thing. I don't know how the signage is on all that, but yeah, I know yeah. Alex Michelli called that out in his, uh, his takedown on this, but uh, I haven't seen how that was executed. Uh, the other, uh, just before we, we leave this, just a, a matter of taste. It looked it looked terrible, didn't it? It looked out of proportion. It's just bad taste. I, I can't imagine that a group of people would sit in a room and, and say, "Yeah, that looks pretty good. Let's do that." Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was just ugly. Um, yeah, I don't know what uh, where the the schematics have probably gone up in a fireplace somewhere <laughs> down, <laughs> never to be seen. So we won't know, but. Um, yeah, there are again. There, there are masons. There are people who who could have. Uh, and then and the golf industry show is coming up in Florida. There's no it just all passed. sorts yeah, of just passed. cool innovations people are coming up with for for de decomposed granite for little kinds of mixtures of artificial 
and real turf. Um, yeah, I just, uh, and they did say they have tried many things, but I don't know anybody Lawrence at the open last year who went, well, Good week, but boy, <laughs> walking on that little bit of dirt to get on the Swilkin Bridge just just ruined it all for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your? Uh, we can't leave this. What's your solution? What, what are you doing there if you're in charge? I'm going to the golf industry show and looking at all these cool things that people have come up with for because you know there are a lot of uh, folks trying to innovate for ways to replace a cart path, for instance, with something that merges uh, real turf, artificial turf. There are. Um, you know, there's some plastics and things you would put in the, in the soil to sort of stabilize it, maybe put a little drainage underneath. So it drains. Well, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to the show looking for solutions because, uh, that's always one of my favorite things when I would go to the superintendent show and it's in Orlando this year, um, is, uh, all those little products that people come up with to, to solve things that would make a course look better, uh, and, and get rid of, and not to go down a total row, but to, to, to get rid of man-made looking things. Cause on a golf course, the less you have of man-made stuff and the way, the more you can blend in things, it just makes the experience better. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are people who I'm sure there were people watching this going, wait, they could use our thing. That would look great there. And you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even see it. And, uh, so, but stones, I mean, that, it's just, just that prefab. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it was brutal. Brutal. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I guess we'll move on for that. Uh, not much else. Uh, is there anything else? I, I see Bubba Watson's announced uh, the name of his team. This yeah, the Rugrats, or what is it? The, the Rug Goats, the, or the, the Range Goats? Range Goats, yeah. I mean, yeah, Liv is, uh, Liv's doing their rollout. It's going to be it's gonna be a rough week. We've got uh, between Liv rollout and uh, the, the the hyping of the millennial uh, major, we, we're just going to have to get through it. It's a good field, and that'll be fun. And uh, and then next week, Riviera is going to be sensational. And um, so, yeah, no, I think we're in a good place. I'm I'm anxious to talk to to, to David uh, Dusek here about kind of where we are on all this, uh, the things you and I have been rec- recklessly speculating about. <laughs> on equipment and uh david's uh david's uh the best at, at knowing what's going on and talking to the manufacturers the uh so that gives me a chance to introduce our this week's friend of the pod david dusek senior writer at golf week magazine we uh gave david a call and we talked to him about uh bryson uh who if you haven't noticed uh party company from cobra uh last week uh, or at the end of january and it was revealed last week by mr dusek and then we went on to the uh we went on to the equipment company's uh, marketing priorities we which we touched on last week jeff david was really interested on that and finally we touched on the uh the uh, distance uh, insights uh, reports uh, from the rna and usga i think there's a a new development coming in the next few weeks uh, david talked about that it was a really really insightful uh, really interesting uh, chat so anyway friend of the pod david dusek David Dusik, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Lawrence. How are you? All right. Great to talk to you. I haven't spoken to you for a while. Uh, Jeff uh, is here on the line as well. Uh, David, I'll tell you what uh, prompted us to give you a buzz was uh, the Bryson stuff uh, last week. Uh, I think that was you that, that, that broke that story, uh, uh, that the uh, him and Cobra have... Uh, yeah. Split up the uh, <laughs> Rick Shields, the great Rick Shields, and his uh, podcast this morning. I was looking at it on YouTube. Bryson ditches Cobra 
for TaylorMade. I'm not sure that's uh, the correct. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's it's never a dull moment when it comes to Bryson and his drivers and his associations with different companies. And yeah, it's um, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind for the last couple of weeks. Bryson DeChambeau was playing an Asian Tour event uh, in the Middle East and decided to break out a new TaylorMade Stealth Two driver, which caught a lot of people off guard because since he turned pro in 2016, he has played almost exclusively uh, Cobra golf stuff. He he wears Puma apparel. And I uh, reached out along with other people, reached out to, to the brand to find out sort of what's, what's going on. And at, at the time when I first did that, Bryson's image was on the Cobra website right next to Ricky Fowler and uh, Lexi Thompson, uh, a little bit away from uh, Gary Woodland. And there was a little bit of radio silence. I think that they were circling the wagons, trying to figure out from a uh, you know what what the corporate message was going to be, and it came to find out that Bryson is contract with Cobra Puma Golf ended at the end of 2022, and uh, so technically he is an equipment free agent right now, which is very interesting and opens up a lot of different questions. Bryson's been exceptionally critical at times uh, of his equipment. And, uh, yeah, so to, to figure out exactly what the future may hold for Bryson and his relationship with not just Cobra, but with any brand is, um, is going to be something to watch. Just to the Rick Shields uh, headline, who ditched who? Is that too crude a way to put it? Well, I think that um, at, at this point, what I'm saying, th- this gets into many different paths that, that this can go down. And, and my reporting hasn't been able to figure out or flush out, I should say, the, the whole thing of it. Um, I can tell you that in July of 21 – at the Open Championship at Royal St. George, Bryson, after a very frustrating 71, said, this driver sucks. To which then I immediately reached out to uh, the Cobra Puma PGA Tour rep, uh, a guy named Ben Showman, who I've known for years, and I caught him making breakfast for his kids, which is always a great way to uh, to, to get somebody professionally when the, they're mid-flapjacks. Um, read him the quotes. He said, let me call you back in 10 minutes after I get the kids you know, off to summer camp. And that started a whole kerfuffle about that. And Bryson was definitely in the penalty box. And there were people that I know at Cobra who were like, we, we should ditch this guy today. You know, these are unrepairable yeah. statements. We have been over backwards for this guy. Um, it's very difficult, as you and Jeff know, to draw a very straight line between any golfer and equipment sales. You, you could make an argument that Tiger Woods sold equipment, but if Tiger Woods sold a lot of equipment, Nike would still be selling golf clubs and golf balls. And they're, they're not. Um, I think some, some athletes sell apparel Tiger and Ricky Fowler has certainly sold a lot of orange shirts that we we've all seen that at tournaments and we see that around, but, um, the, the dust settled on that. But I, I think that what's really come down now is that once he's off contract, I suppose that Bryson is free to play with whatever he likes, but if they are in good faith trying to negotiate some kind of a deal for 2023 and beyond, for him to go to a tailor-made driver after all of the work and all of the special modifications and all the stuff that that Ben and everybody else at Cobra has done over the years to try and get him stuff that he likes. He had a lot of input on the new Aerojet stuff that that just was released this month. I should say this month. They, uh, within the month ago from, from Cobra. For him to use some other brand may may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I would be very, very surprised if uh, if Cobra and Bryson mend this and and come to some type of an agreement where he is once again a cobra sponsored athlete. Uh, david, what what does this do to the same length irons uh, that he was 
touting would revolutionize the game and and actually i think have some interesting merits for for some golfers uh from what i've read what what what, ha- what happens to all that is that is that dead is or what was it, it ever it'll, alive? Be it'll be difficult to say jeff because it, when i visit with the folks at cobra um now they are not the biggest brand out there they're not as big as TaylorMade right. or titleist or callaway or ping the sort of the big four if you will They've told me that they get upwards of 30% of their iron sales for the year are one length, but I've never seen them in the wild. I, I, I play <laughs> enough golf where I, I've never rolled never. up someplace and, and, and seen one length. So it, it would be very easy after the next year or 18 months for one length to go away. And I don't know, depending on what happens with Bryson, if any other brand picks up the mantle for one yeah. length. But I, I agree with you, Jeff, that if you were somebody who was brand new to the game, and there's certainly plenty of people out there, if you went and bought a used set of one length Cobra irons at a shop, you could argue that it would be a little bit easier to pick up the game because your long irons, the three, four, five, six, are shorter, right. which would make them a little bit easier to control. You don't have a predisposition to say like a nine iron or a pitching wedge at seven iron length, which would feel longer. So you're standing farther away from the ball. Like, you know, those of us who have played traditional length irons, you know, that, that modify their length. Um, I, I think that it probably does go away. I wouldn't be, let me put it this way. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it would be very, very difficult to buy a new set of one length irons, say 24 to 36 months from now. I think that would be very challenging. What was that deal worth? What, how much were they paying them? And you know, how much is invested in this thing? I'm assuming they would have to bring in new manufacturing equipment. Uh, it's a huge investment then just to let it go. Was this the first big deal that he'd done with him? I think he played Titleist when he was at college, wasn't it? So he had played some customized stuff from a smaller company called Idel. That's right. Um, Sorry, for, yeah. for a little while. Yeah. And and he had so they, they were the ones that really manufactured and got into one length yeah. irons I to that. start with. And when Bryson was still an amateur, he was the reigning US amateur champion. He was, along with his agent, like he he turned pro after he played the Masters. Um, and the next week he showed up at Hilton Head, head to toe in Puma Apparel, and he had his Cobra clubs and all that. But Several months before that, he was shopping up and down the roads in Carlsbad looking for a manufacturer who wanted to go with, you know, with him and, and sign him, which is 100 percent par for the course. Um, that happens all the time. You know, if somebody is turning pro, especially if they've got the USAM pedigree to them and they are not really, really beloved, you know, or, or, or betrothed to, I should say, to to their clubs, then then the agent's going to look around like, let's find you a deal. And that was we can get to that part of the conversation in a little bit because things are changing there. Um, I know that he talked to other brands. Puma loved him. The Cobra guys were willing to go down the one length avenue for him. They saw an opportunity. They could they could afford to take that risk. I don't know exactly how much by the end he was getting paid per year. Those okay. numbers are, you know, we, we've got ranges. It was well into seven figures, but it wasn't going to be Rory money. Okay. It wasn't going to be, you know, that kind of money. And I, and I wonder outside of incentive clauses, you win a 2020 US Open, there's going to be a sweetener in your contract. Okay. Uh, if you achieve the world number one ranking, if you make a Ryder Cup team, there, there's sweeteners in all these things that are incentive clauses. Um, I bet Ricky still made more money before the incentive clauses up until maybe the ver- the last deal or the last portions of the deal when Bryson, you know, at his peak before the injuries and whatever was, was a little bit more consistent and Ricky was on the down. Kind of want to use this to uh, springboard to another topic that, that Lawrence and I have been discussing. Uh, well, we just discussed last week, David, this um, 
kind of uh, onslaught of, of signings by manufacturers of uh, influencers and mm. these uh, little influencer uh, groups. And we're, we're theorizing and we're curious. Uh, this is one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today was if, if our theory has any uh, basis in the potential for uh, forthcoming rules changes and possible uh, bifurcation and that we're seeing these brands start to prepare for that day where they deal less with uh, or rely less on players, deal less with this kind of drama like the Bryson situation and use a Nile Horan or Good mm -hmm. Good or No Laying Up as their brand ambassadors as much as tour players. Is that what we're seeing or is it just a product of the times and they'll always still try to sell off of players? You got to throw Macklemore in there who just was announced. Yeah, uh, yeah. How now, could I forget? Can't, <laughs> can't, can't forget. Well, we're outside the demo. I mean, let's, let's face it. The oh, oh, far speak, outside. Hey, speak for yourself, guys. <laughs> Yo. Um, I think it's, I, I think what you bring up is a very interesting point. But I don't think it's the major reason, or I, I think it is a side benefit, if you will, of this trend. The the over, and I've talked to a bunch of people about this from several different brands, and what I've learned and is is basically this, Jeff. They the the manufacturers and the people who are in charge of the marketing budgets for the biggest brands already feel they are getting all the exposure to the say forty five and over people who already love the game. So they don't need to tell people, hey, Rory McIlroy plays TaylorMade because that demographic already knows. Um, they already know Justin Thomas is playing Titleist. They already know, you know that John Rahm is playing Callaway, for example. Like, so all those things are, are sort of already in. For them to continue to grow and that coveted younger demographic that they're really going after, they're taking a look and saying, look, well, you know, Lawrence and I ha both have sons. I know Lawrence. How how old is your son, who I know is the the real stick in the family? He's seventeen. Just turned seventeen. Okay. So so Char Charlie's eighteen, and whether he's sitting in front of the television or not, he is constantly on either social media or YouTube. He doesn't watch television per se unless it's a game that he's really interested in. Even then, there will be a phone zooming around different places. So manufacturers are trying to go where that coveted audience actually is. And in most cases, the broadest reach is going to be found on YouTube. Instagram is, is second. Twitter and Facebook are for old people kind of like us. And if you take a look at where some of these new groups are coming from, these social media influences, really it's much more YouTubers than, than social media per se. Their, their audiences dwarf the manufacturers and they go right to that coveted audience. So I tried to do some research for you boys coming mm -hmm. into this. Um, TaylorMade has 251,000 followers on Instagram. Rick Shields, who does not have an equipment deal, but, but for reference, Rick Shields has 2 million. Um, Bob does sports, which just signed on is a relatively new one. Just signed on with a deal with Callaway has 373,000 followers, um, on YouTube. That's more than double Callaway's reach. Again, into a demographic where they want to be. The guys at Good Good, who also signed with Callaway, that's 1.2 million. So they will put videos out that get hundreds of thousands of views within the first 24 hours. Whereas these brands, when they produce their own content, struggle to get a few thousand. Yeah. So why are they signing these brands? They, they reach the coveted audience much more effectively than the brands can do themselves. And to some degree, you can also sign these guys 
for two, three-year deals. Most of them are three-year deals that have a one-year out clause at the beginning in case something goes horrifically wrong, the parties can can separate. Um, they can do a much better job of reaching that audience for a little bit lower price than, say, signing three, four, or five collegiate All-Americans who have very little reach, very little unless they win a PGA Tour event and are all plastered all over CBS all right. on the weekends. And an unknown upside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So if I'm um, the head of marketing for TaylorMade, am I signing Pearson QD or am I signing Rick Shields? Uh, well, Rick, Rick has made it actually, and I, I have a lot of admiration for it. Rick, Rick is not signing, he said, multiple times with a brand. I understand that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. You, you, are, you are much more interested in signing a YouTube person with two or 300,000 followers. Because what I think, Lawrence, and this is something that gets lost in the shuffle, most of these entities on YouTube are really media companies with a little bit different storefront. Their, their means of distribution is digital video. They have staffs and, you know, brand usually eight, 10, 15 people. It's not some slap together thing that just happens to go viral. It's a very thought out business. Um, and there are personalities and people that work extremely hard, study analytics. Their, their, their numbers are not an accident. Yeah. They're repeating. So I think that you start to look and say like, I'd rather sign five or six marquee players using that sort of tailor-made model that you mentioned um and then have to get the younger demo go in the other direction and i think i've got all my bases covered actually quick mention for taylor taylor may do some really good youtube content i mean some of the uh you know my kid watches it uh you know morikawa and tiger in a bunker for half an hour i mean yeah. but that that's real i mean it's really great content but it's for players it's not for a kind of broader audience. Also, Taylor made a trying to combine the guys at Trotty. Is it Trotty? Yeah. This guy, Trotty. Yeah. So they're trying to turn him into. Yeah. They're trying to turn him into. Uh, so you can see they're trying to bridge it both elements in one personality. And that, that would be him. The uh, Is it a zero sum game, though? So I, I'm guessing the marketing departments have a X millions of dollars. Uh, so if they're, if they're investing more in the, the social media guys, does this mean less for players? So I wonder, will Bryson just float around for, for months and months and months, whereas before he might have been snapped up? Um, I think it's a couple things. The Bryson example is a little bit tough because his equipment demands are so unique. I don't think he gets snapped up. I think Bryson's in a real dilemma as far as where he's going to get his things and how this is going to work. I think um, it, it will be very interesting to see. I don't think that he gets snapped up. But what I think you will see is I, I've been told that the demand – for broadcast dollars and broadcast advertising budgets, those are going down on Thursday, Fridays, because the the numbers on broadcast certainly so far this year have been abysmal. Now, again, going against NFL and going against different things, like I get that, and maybe coming out of Masters and whatever, the the numbers will rebound a little bit. But the no no one's really coveting getting on network or getting on golf channel on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, you you'll, so you can reduce that spend and put some of that money okay. towards this stuff. Yeah. So Rory doesn't have, we don't have to worry about Rory when his deal comes up for renewal. There'll still be some money left in the pot. I, I don't, I don't think he'll be going on Groupon any decade <laughs> soon. 
Here, uh, the other thing, this is not my area of expert. I'm going to hand this over to you, Jeff. The uh, the distance insight stuff. Um, what, what's going on? Uh, well, I wonder if you could. What, what is going on, Jeff? I'll start with you. Uh, I only know what I read in in Golf Week with uh, David <laughs> Dusak, which is that um, you know we've we've gotten the comments are in, and we have a USGA meeting coming up, and we there's it, there's been quiet on the uh, on the distance front, but. Um, David, what's your sense of, uh, the kind of how the comment period went and, uh, when we might uh, learn something? Um, I think for the sake of consistency, the USGA most likely will be sending out a, an, one of the annual distance reports, which is a, basically right. a, a, a gathering of all the data that's already out there. How, what was the distance stuff? from the PGA tour, the DP world tour, the Asian tour, et cetera. And, and you can get all those numbers, but they have every year put that together. And I think that we'll get that again and it will be what it's going to be. The, the, you know, people are hitting it farther. We, we, we know that, um, as far as what we've been waiting for, for years and years now, um, there is Jeff, as you know, an unspoken rule amongst the five families that thou shalt not step on thy, thy neighbor's yeah. turf. So, <laughs> January has always been out of the question because the PGA of America runs the annual PGA merchandise show in Orlando. And we just came out of that about a week and a half ago. The next sort of, you know, period that has a big X on the calendar would be during the Players' Championship in March. And we're certainly not going to hear something leading up to or during the Masters. So you, you, all those different times are sort of blocked out. Um, you mentioned the USGA has its annual meeting coming up I, I think that around that time generally speaking it would not be surprising if we did learn of what the usga and the rna intend to do as far as announcements potential changes to rulings or testing and stuff like that they've been really telegraphing for the last year that they're focusing on the way that they test golf balls the way that they test and they wanted to learn more about a decrease in what's called the characteristic time, which is a measure of the springiness, uh, the trampoline effect, if you will, uh, of a golf club's face. And we're really talking drivers, but they'll they'll do something so it's all encompassing. Um, that they're really looking at that stuff. And if we are to believe that they could make changes to those testing procedures on those kind of clubs, we could be looking at some very substantive changes down the line, which then if it goes along, for example, when they changed and they created a model local rule that said uh, elite players have to play a driver that's 46 inches or shorter, um, you know, Brooke Henderson, other players who had been over 46, there weren't that many. That's adopted by model local rule, which means that a tournament or a tour adopts it and they and you can't do it anymore. If they if they make the changes by model local rule, in effect, um, you could have a bifurcated situation where players like us who are playing our weekend game would not have to, to use distance reducing equipment. But if those model local rules were created and they were enacted at the US Open, uh, the Open Championship, if they got the PGA Tour to come on board, it could make radical changes to what we see on television at the, and at the elite level. And, and how much is, um, from your reporting that we've already read about, of the, uh, what they've, that they've put out there, uh, well, what they've put out is pretty dramatic in terms of what it would do in, in an actual uh, impact on players. Is that is your sense that that was done as a starting point uh, and that they might throttle back? Or do you think they were pretty set on some of those parameters that they've they've floated? That's a great question, Jeff. I, 
I, I don't have a feel for it. I can tell you that in speaking with different brands and talking with executives at different companies over the last year or so, they're they're fearing the worst. You know, there has been a call for um, a reduction in distance. The USGA and the RNA made it very clear a couple of years ago. They feel distance is a problem, both in terms of from a competitive standpoint as well as from a water and um, you know an environmental standpoint. They don't want big golf courses. You know, they they want golf courses to have less of an environment, less of a of an environmental footprint, if you will, um, and reducing distance they feel can help that. Um, it can also make sure that historically significant golf courses stay in the rota. Um, I think it was very obvious that they're looking to do something significant when Marion is awarded a U.S. Open. I'm going to get it wrong. Like what, 20 years from now? I mean, it's got, I think there's one that's yeah. in, in the 2040s. Marion isn't on the table for a U.S. Open in 20 plus years unless yeah. they already know we're not going to let distance go any farther. And in fact, we're probably going to make things shorter. Uh, can, can I just jump in here, David, and try and, uh, for the layperson like me, the uh, so they're going to change the way the balls are tested. So they're going to, they're going to test them at 125, 127, uh, mm -hmm. which would then take take the, the ball would obviously go further at that club head speed, uh, which, by the way, is Cameron Champ's club head speed is 126.4 <laughs> or whatever. Um, so that will take it beyond the limit that already exists. Is that right? The current that would already take the current balls beyond that limit. So the, the so the so the idea is that 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 currently the way that they test, and I've been to the USGA headquarters in Far Hills and watched the test be administered. It's it's fascinating stuff. They they have to they use use a club that is a controlled club. They had it made for the purpose. Um, they tee up a ball that that you're submitting to make sure that it complies with the rules of golf, and they hit a series of shots and they study the way it goes and they look at. The, the, the way that it's currently done is that they launch it at a certain height with a club swung at a certain speed and they see the overall distance goes so far that you're, you're limited on how far that ball could potentially go. But but in reality, the elite players are swinging faster than that test club yeah, goes. Right. Yeah. And so they're out hitting the test. Yeah. So they're going to modify the test and now make it be potentially, and nothing is set in stone, but they're looking at speeds of, again, as you mentioned, 125 to 127. So now we're talking elite player speeds. And they're also going to be testing them within a range of launches between seven and a half, and I believe it's going up to 13 or 14 degrees. So the, the best way to hit the ball farther, Lawrence, if you're looking to get out this weekend at your swanky clubs out there in the Bay Area, is you want to get what's called high launch, low spin. You want to hit the ball high and hard, but not have it spin too much. So these high launching knuckleballs. Well, if you do that now at 127 miles an hour and you launch it up at around 13 degrees like the USGA is proposing they want, they want to look at, and you reduce them because the balls don't spin as much as they used to. They're so aerodynamically good. And they're, they're all the, then all of a sudden, every ball becomes non-conforming. Yeah. They're all going to fail that kind of tests because they're not that the ball is different, but the way your test is different. Yeah. Everything goes away. And so that's that's like this doomsday scenario that a lot of different manufacturers are looking at. And they're wondering like if, to Jeff's point, that they really did it and really changed the test that much, then it would cause a massive upheaval in the way that golf balls perform at the elite level and, and it would be financially a, a huge hit for equipment companies because they would have to retool and go back and to their factories to come up with different things. It's not 
as if you can just go back into the trunk and say, like, bring back the, the 2004 Pro V1. That won't conform either. We're going back now to the early 1990s in terms of performance, and that's a hard thing to recreate. Well, I, you know, yeah, I, I think we just need to wait and see. I, I still feel like those were, uh, they threw something out to, to entirely that. possible. Yeah. My, my other, but, but this doomsday talk, I, as you know, I have great fatigue with it all. Um, really in part. Yeah, I know it's shocking because they have also in these, um, documents and statements and studies and reports, uh, presented uh, a roadmap to possibly allow for more innovation for the the average golfer, both with kind of the bifurcation model local rules split, and then also mm-hmm. opening the door for something, some other things. Is there any sense from the manufacturers in your your reporting that they're appreciative of this, that they're going to take advantage, and that they can see? Um, they can maybe, we can maybe break this addiction they have of just selling off of what the guys on tour play and that there is a, there is light at the end of this, this bleak tunnel that they, they, uh, seem to suggest that the USGA and RNA are, are sending them down. It's the happy go lucky Jeff Shackelford, everybody right there, <laughs> whistling a tune as he skips to work. Well, to speak up for Jeff, he didn't, but he's not talking about doomsday scenarios. I mean, he's talking about an opportunity for the manufacturers, surely. It, it, it is certainly that. I have not heard them because, okay, um, we don't know exactly what parameters that they would go on. So, so if the if the if the USGA and the RNA come on and say, look, look, we're going to give you the opportunity to go up now to to six hundred cc's for a driver. Currently, it's 460 cc's. That could make a noticeable difference. Now, whether people would want to play that or not, you know, we, we can talk about that. But if, if, if they opened up the parameters further for stuff that wasn't going to be used by elite players, then that is a way for a lot of innovation to potentially come if people said that they wanted it. Um, I, I don't I haven't heard any talk of that. I've heard a lot of talk of people over the last, you know, since distance has been debated, one of the great values of our game is that we all play by the same rules and we play the same equipment. I mean, that is why the governing bodies have been so adamantly against, that's the argument presented to me, why they're so adamantly against um, bifurcation. I personally don't have a big problem with bifurcation. I see it in so many other sports. And I think that if uh, that the, the live experience has told us anything, it, it's the the golfers in our game is much more like a lot of other games than we sometimes want to admit. Um, to me, it wouldn't be a big deal. I, I haven't heard though that Jeff, that, that people are looking at, they're giving them the out clause because you can go in other directions that right now the rules would constrain you and, and prohibit you from. Yeah. probably. Just- that's why I have no sympathy for, for a lot of their whining. Cause they, I think they just get so caught up in, uh, the fight uh, and not having an open mind and adjustable clubs, I think, are a fine example of where they had a bone thrown their way and it, it's been a win-win for everybody. So, mm-hmm. uh, David, when's this, when's this going to happen? I guess we're expecting something in March, but is it, how long is the consultation period after that? Well, if 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 we do get something in, say, March, there will be, without question, six months or possibly even a 12-month comment period after that. Um, and I would be really shocked, Lawrence, if, if something were named or, or some, some things were put out there that would be model local rules, I wouldn't think that they would be adopted anywhere. 
um, any sooner than three or four years. Okay. Because if you came out, for example, in March of 23 and said, this is what we propose to do, you have to wait for a comment period. And then the manufacturers and the companies that actually produce this stuff have to make it. So it's it's not as if, if you're going to change the faces of drivers or if you're going to change the golf balls and stuff like that. For them to be able to make conforming stuff will take a while. Like it's a, They have to manufacture it. They have to make it. They have to make sure, like, okay, we, we, we've made these. Like, does it conform? It's years down the line. And for the recreational golf and the people who are listening to this, I, I think you can buy anything you want, regardless of your playing level, right now, and you will be fine for many years. Uh, it's such a fascinating. I'm thinking about you know elite golf, not at the PGA Tour level, but you know elite amateur golf. I mean, can mm-hmm. you imagine trying to police you know it's, amateur events? It would be crazy. Where do you draw the line? There's all sorts of fascinating uh, aspects to this. It's really really interesting. Say this was actually this is this is what we were going to do. We we're going to test at 127. We we're going to test you know these different launch angles. <laughs> what kind of equipment in terms of years would we be going back to? If we if we if we really do adopt all these different things that have been sort of proposed and chatted about and you know they're asking for more information about it, I, I think that you would be going from say 2023 performance as we have it today. I think you're going back to like 90 the the early to mid 90s. I, I think that you were looking at a slower, spinnier ball being struck by a less efficient driver that will be a little bit wobblier on on mishits. I think that it will fundamentally, if those things are adopted, it will fundamentally change elite golf significantly. Sounds good. To Jeff me. just 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 fainted. He just he just got so happy. No, I just I just am, I don't think that'll it'll they'll present something that that's that's that extreme. That's just my view. But uh, well, I, I think we just need to let them um, roll it out, and and um, I'm glad to hear it's we may get something soon. I I, I think it'll be food for another good podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, David, listen, uh, thanks very much for coming on. That was really, uh, really fascinating. Uh, Good to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, David.